Father, we come and we come with our eyes set upon you and we even pray this morning that our eyes would be ever more set upon you as we recognize that our help indeed as Dennis said before does not come from us from every angle we are in need of you how indeed deceptive Deceiving even and and even wicked our hearts are. I know that we would like not to think of ourselves that way. But how continually your word sets before us that is exactly what we are. How sick we are. Who can understand it? Oh Lord. We come in light of these things, in light of hearts like ours where we we see all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that no one seeks after you, not even one. And so we come in light of these very real and very true things and then we just look up and we stand in awe at your mercy. We stand in awe that you would seek after us. Because you didn't have to. Indeed, we were your enemies. But you would seek after your enemies. And seek to save us. And for those of us here who are in Christ, you have done just that. You have paid the penalty for all of those those sins through your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross. All of our sins are forgiven and wiped away. You have given us new hearts. And you put your spirit in us. And so we rejoice in your son this morning. Even as we come to a passage where we see great depravity great darkness and so as we see it this morning help us to see it and help us to always see that you are our light in the midst of darkness give us grace in the midst of all of our needs which you know them all you know the the weights that each one of us may be bearing or have in our hearts Whatever they are and wherever we are, help us to see the light in the midst of the darkness. And so be with us this morning as we turn to your word. Give us grace as weak as we are, as in every single way we need you. So help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. This morning to the Gospel of John, we'll be continuing on in John 13. So John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30. Now throughout history, there have been a number of memorable betrayals. Some of these you might just be thinking of. 
You know, even as I mention them, you know, you might recall some of these. For one, you might remember, you know, how Marcus Brutus betrayed Julius Caesar, where in 44 BC, Brutus conspired with around 60 Roman senators to assassinate the Roman leader, and it came with such surprise that when Caesar saw Brutus among the throng of the assassins, he said in sad disbelief, you too, Brutus? Betrayal. Or we may think of, you know, as believers, even one example that we can think of in history of the famous Bible translator William Tyndale and how he had long eluded the authorities who were seeking after his life as he sought to, you know, dauntlessly and unwaveringly translate the Bible into English. Even so, even though they were seeking after him, he would persist in it and getting the Bible into English. Yet in 1535, after Henry Phillips had won Tyndale's confidence and friendship, Tyndale trusting him, Philip would turn to trick Tyndale and lead him right into the hands of his captors. And so there may be others that you are thinking of or recall as well, yet out of them all there is one that most certainly comes immediately to the top. I don't even have to tell you, you already know which one it is, the betrayal of Judas. And it rightfully stands distinct among all of the ones you may consider as he was not just betraying a man, but he would betray the God-man. What a betrayal it was and how dark a betrayal it was. Yet even so, in the midst of such a dark thing he did, even so in our verses this morning as we will see, light shines through it in the midst of the darkness. So let's see this then. And for the sake of context, I'll be reading verses 12 to the end there, verse 30. So verse 12 through 30. So may God illuminate his word for us this morning. When he had finished, or when he had washed their feet and put, out, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe 
that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas has the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So Jesus' words here, his initial words, they come right off of what we saw last time. So his having humbled himself, becoming a servant and washing the disciples' feet. And and he didn't just wash, as we know, not just some of their feet. He washed all of their feet, including Judas, his betrayer as well. And so from verses, verse 12 through verse 17, Jesus, he goes on, as we saw, to explain why he did as he did calling them then and calling us also to take up our towel and for them to take up their towel and then for us and for you to go and serve one another. However, in verses 18 through 20, provides a word on things to come. And as we see, you know, they aren't pleasant words. Yet even so, What he says here, he says, for their good, and not just for their good, but ours also. And he foretells of things to come. And he does this, he foretells for your faith. He foretells for your faith. And we see that in verses 18 through 20 here. And it's it's as though... As Jesus says this, it's as though as he is kind of pausing here for a moment and looking directly out at his audience, or perhaps as we think of it today, looking directly into the camera. And he says, you see, I know what's coming. Hear my words. Listen to them well, because later in this story, and what is getting ready to take place you will see that what I have told you is true. One of you will betray me, and I know this 
because I am the Christ. And so as he finishes his call for them to serve as he served, he says in verse 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. So again, we see that Jesus knows. He knew what Judas would do. He knew of the betrayal that was in Judas's heart. Nine times we are told in John's gospel of Judas and his betrayal. Kind of again and again, it wants you to be aware it's coming. This is him, that guy right there, Judas. He's the betrayer. And by the way, Jesus knows about it completely, fully, and entirely. And so it is that Jesus says in John 6, 64, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So he knew it. And so we see then Judas here goes to fulfill God's word. Jesus, he makes it abundantly clear What is about to happen and what Judas is about to do is not outside of God's sovereign hands, outside of God's sovereign control, outside of God's sovereign plans. What Judas is about to do, it fulfills Scripture and it fulfills God's word. And so Jesus, he quotes here, as we see the Psalms often, in the Gospels, referenced and quoted from, he quotes here from Psalm 41.9. Now in that Psalm, David is its author. Yet, at the same time, this Psalm does what many of the Psalms do. And it, it does what many of the Psalms point to. And it points forward to the greater David to come who will come to fulfill the many different ways the Psalms points forward to this greater David to come. And so also in Psalm 41.9, it's pointing forward to that one who would be the greater David. And so David, he serves as a type of Christ where not all of his life and all the components of it, but various pieces of his life would point forward to this greater king to come who would come and fulfill the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we're not going to go there, but you can go there yourself afterwards or after this morning's service and see exactly how Jesus then comes and fulfills 2 Samuel 7 as the Davidic king and even the true fulfillment of the king that God has pointed forward to. And so Judas then comes here as the fulfillment of God's plans. He would lift up his hill against Christ. And that sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like some other passage, maybe Genesis 3.15. Well, the devil will bruise his hill, but even so, Jesus will most certainly crush his head. So take note of this and note it well. Again and again, 
God is saying, here are my markers for you. So you'll see I am orchestrating all of these things for my glory and for your salvation. In Judas, God is fulfilling his word. God is orchestrating the cross even down to the one who's going to betray Jesus. And so we see Judas will betray Jesus, but as he does, he's fulfilling God's word. And then we see also from verse 18 what kind of betrayal this would be. It would be an intimate betrayal. Again, it says there in verse 18, He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, if you just looked back to Psalm 41.9, the words that came before those words are these, Even my close friend in whom I trusted. And so the knife, it wouldn't come from some stranger but it would come from Jesus' intimate friend, a stranger. You know, that is one thing altogether if they do something to you, but a dear friend is another altogether. I mean, imagine it. He had been with you for three years. He had sat at your dinner table. He was there through the miracles, the healings, the powerful words that caused the officers in John 7 to say, no one ever spoke like this man. And so he was there for all of that. And he takes the knife and he still plunges it in. And why? Why does Jesus tell us all this? Well, he tells us, this, he tells you this for your faith. For your faith. And we see it plainly there in verse 19. He tells you that you may believe that he is the Christ. So even now, even with this, he is still in control. When he is betrayed, and as he is on the cross, when all seems lost, he wants their faith not to flounder or to fail. He is mercifully giving them something to grasp onto. And so here we have great encouragement also that though you may be hurt by others, they may even betray you, still know and believe that He is the Christ. I mean, you don't have to live long before you know that relationships can be, I mean, wow, such incredible blessings, right? I know I personally have been blessed by so many people in my life. I can name one after another. Yet, we also know that those relationships can also be agents of some of the most intense pain, Friends, it's worth it. Jesus knew this about Judas, yet what did he do? He still loved him. He still washed his feet. You know, and I, I wonder, I wonder what you would have done. You know, I, 
I love the movie The Gladiator, you know, with Russell Crowe. I mean, you may have seen it. Maybe that's dated now. Maybe you haven't <laughs> seen it. But much of the, the basic thrust of the movie is about revenge, right? I don't know if you noticed that before, but that's the basic thrust about it. He's passionately pursuing revenge over the death of his family. Well, that's, that's not to be our model, though. That's not to be you and me. You will get hurt. I guarantee it. And you may even be betrayed by someone. But when or if that happens, the temptation then and there will be to grow bitter, to grow hostile, or even to retreat into yourself and just simply kind of throw up your hands and say, you know what, forget people. You know, forget the church. All they ever do is just hurt me. That can be our temptation in the midst of our hurts and pains in these relationships. And if you haven't been hurt yet, it's coming when they come. And I, I get that. I get that hurt. I've been there too, and the wounds, my oh my, they go so deep. And if you've been hurt, you know exactly what I'm talking about here the hurt that is so deep that it feels like your soul bleeds. And there's like a scar there and it gets reopened every so often. It hurts. Well, even so, remember then, when those times come, remember the love of Christ. See Him here and how He kept loving. Continue trusting him, remember that he is still the Christ. You know, recently you may have heard about the sad revelations of the apologist, Rabbi Zacharias. A man who, you know, I most certainly respected and I learned from as well. So many Ways he communicated in such a way, defending the Christian faith and its truth. Yet he has hurt many people. And that's not okay. He took advantage of women, even to the point of rape. And even right now, you may be hurt by what he did. You may have come to faith even through his ministry. Well, friend, hear me loud and clear here. Regardless of what he did, as wrong as it was, and it was wrong, Jesus is still the Christ. You will be hurt in this life. You will be hurt in this world. You might be hurt in the church. And in fact, I'd probably say you probably will be. But that in no way undermines Christ. He is the Christ. Period. Sin, sinners, and brokenness are all short parts of this fallen world. But not one of them demeans nor nullifies the veracity and the surety that Jesus is the Savior of the world. 
even though a thousand kind of things like Ravi Zacharias did may come, it does not mean Jesus is not still the Christ. He is. And how gracious God is. He gives these gracious markers here for us. With Jesus and all these things that are getting ready to take place. Saying, see, my words are still true. I am still true. Believe. Believe and trust me even when they come. Believe and know that my son is the Christ. He comes alongside us and assures us by his spirit that yes, even then... Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. And so it is no reason to forsake Christ. No reason to forsake the body of Christ. I think we as believers need a bit more thicker skin. (laughs) You're going to be hurt. But fight before the body of Christ because you love Jesus that much. You love one another that much. I love you so much. I'll get hurt and I'll keep loving you back just like Jesus does here. Even though he knows what Judas is going to do, he still loves him. And so I am to love all of you and everyone as well, no matter what you do to me. Even though it may be wrong and sinful and even evil. And you can take the appropriate steps as well of seeking out justice and right. But you can love still as well. And so we see that. But we see also the mercy in what Jesus is doing here. So see the way that Christ spurs you on. The way that he spurs us on in these verses. He's saying... See this when it happens and believe. He wants you to be assured. He wants you to be held up. He wants you to know he knows and that he is in control. He wants you to know that he still is the great I am. Even as he says there in verse 19, I am he. The same word he used when he said before Abraham was, I am. He wants you to know that's still true. Disciples, as you see Judas betray me and you see all this kind of crumbling down, just remember, I still am the great I am. And so also for you. So also for us. Even as You may be getting ready to walk through a valley of darkness. He wants you to remember and not forget this. He's saying in that valley, believer, be assured, endure, don't cease to hold fast to me. I am he. And so after Jesus, he says all these things. We move right in to this dark, sad, and very real betrayal. And there is, there is gloom that hovers, hovers over 
these verses here. And Jesus, He feels it too. He is troubled by betrayal. And though Jesus, He knows what lies ahead, and though He knows of what Judas is getting ready to do, He is troubled as He speaks directly about and to the one who's going to betray Him. Oh man, there's so many incredible things here we see about Jesus. But before that, we see verse 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And so there are two sides to these verses here. And the first one is the obvious one. It's the dark side. After Jesus said that one of them would betray him, we see that no one knew who it was. No one knew who it was. I mean, that's an astonishing statement. No one knew that Judas was the one who was betraying Jesus. Now, you might think to that, I mean, how could they have not known? I mean, surely something about Judas would have tipped them off, you know? Somewhere along the way, I mean, they're together for all these years, and there's nothing. Well... Let me just say it's, it's harder than you think to tell these kind of things. So just consider the examples I've already given with Caesar and Brutus. You know, he didn't, he didn't think Brutus was going to do this to him. But it came nonetheless. Tyndale and Phillips. Tyndale didn't think Phillips was going to do that. But it came nonetheless. Deception can be disguised so terribly well. Consider one more example. You know, Hitler and Neville Chamberlain in 1938. Prime Minister Chamberlain, he met with, with Hitler in Germany in order to prevent a worldwide war. And he would go on after that to meet with Hitler a number of times as well. And so he had a number of meetings with Hitler. And after all those meetings, surely you would think that he would have known that something was awry. You know, something that Hitler had said or done that would have kind of, you know, let him know, okay, I shouldn't trust this guy. Well wrong you know Chamberlain concluded that Hitler was a man that he could trust and how wrong he was right World War II millions and millions and millions of people died millions of Jews murdered And so all of this is just awfully fearful, isn't it? <laughs> like I said, there, this is a dark passage. And, and if you would like me to kind of back away from it, I'm not because the passage is dark. Oh, the disguises we wear all too well. And how well Judas wears his mask here. 
And so we see that point, no one knew. And then we also see here, Satan entered him. So another dark moment. So after hearing Jesus' words, Peter, he you know, motions to the disciple who Jesus loved, who was likely John, you know, to ask him, you know, hey, ask about that. You know, what is he talking about? You know, no one knows, you know, what are you saying there? What do you mean by that? I mean, just imagine what you would have thought after Jesus would say that, you know, one of you is going to betray me. Whoa, you know, my goodness. And so Peter motions to him and now John, you know, sitting next to Jesus, likely on Jesus' right as they sat around what would have been a U-shaped table there with, you know, Jesus at the head. And so John was there on the right. So right there, you got the U in your mind. And so Jesus, he answers John. Some think it probably was in perhaps an hushed kind of tone. It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Now, though we aren't for certain here, it's likely that at the highest place of honor at the table, which would be to Jesus' left, there sat Judas. Well, why? Well, so it was that he would be able to hand directly to Judas this morsel of bread. How hard indeed it is to tell. And so Judas, he took it and Satan entered him and he would go possessed by the devil himself to do this dark deed. So you add another notch of darkness to this kind of scene here. And then last of all, we see the darkness itself. We see that it is night Verse 30, and that's exactly what it says. Yes, this means it was literally night, but it's saying more than that too. Judas goes into the night to betray Jesus. He has fully given himself over to darkness. And here we remember Jesus' words from John 11. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So how dark indeed was this moment. And yet, like I said before, though it was dark, there was light also. There is the light side to these moments as well. So even in the midst of the gloom and the darkness of these moments, we see Christ's persistent love. So Jesus, his giving of the bread to Judas, it wasn't, it wasn't just a kind of an identifying gesture. That's him. That's the only reason why I'm giving it to Judas. It was a last extension of mercy and love to Judas. It was an act of civility, but it was more than that. Jesus was saying essentially, Judas, 
Will you not even now believe in me? See how I still love you? We see his persistent love even in the midst of the moments right before he goes to betray Jesus. And this may well be what Christ is saying to you right now. He is offering himself to you this morning. He's saying, will you not come and believe Don't wait. Take my hand extended in mercy to you and believe. Though you may have done all kinds of things, though your sin may be great, His hand is extended to you also. Though your sin is great, He has come to pay for every last one. And so he extends it. He doesn't say, get yourself right and then come. He says, come and I will save you fully and completely and wholly. And I'll give you a new heart. And I'll put my spirit in you. And you'll be mine forever. How persistent is his love. And how persistent we are with such an example to love also. And so though it was day, or though it was night, we see that day is coming. The sun, S-O-N, will rise. And life for sinners will be given and never taken away. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light Or the light of life. So in view of this. Dark scene. With such terrible weighty darkness. And then also such merciful. Loving light. Throw off. All guises and disguises. See the extension of the love. Of Christ for you. You do not need to hide anymore. You need not act as though something you are not. He comes to give you life, and so he just come to him and you be free in Christ. John 8:36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is the light of the world, so walk in His light freely and rejoicing in Him who paid for all your sins and removed your chains that you may live for Him. Saints, we don't need to wear masks. We don't need to pretend that we're godly and all these things. You realize, even as I've said before, that every time you come in here, you're saying, every time you say, I know Jesus, you're saying, I am a sinner. That's the only reason why you know Christ is because you've admitted that. I know I'm a sinner and I don't deserve salvation. But you came and died on the cross for my sins, so save me, Jesus. So be honest, right? We're We're all just a mess here. 
We need God. Every one of us. So throw off those masks and disguises and hypocrisy. And then be free to live for Christ. And find that your chains are gone. And throw away the rule book and live for Christ. And so do that and also, as is right, and seeing such surprising things that even here they didn't know who it was, may we then also discern and love. Discern and love. We are to be wise. We are to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. So know your Savior. Know God's Word. Know sound theology. We are to take the words from Jude seriously when he said, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So we are commanded to discern believers. So take seriously your call to discern and take seriously your call to love like Christ. Even in the correcting of false doctrine. Paul, he makes clear in 1 Timothy, even as he's doing that, he's correcting false doctrine. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So we can do all that and love incredibly. And in the doing of that, we are loving incredibly. And so, brothers and sisters, may we love fiercely. Jesus loved Judas to the very end. Such is the kind of love that we are called to also. So although we have seen great darkness this morning, we have also seen great light as well. So although the darkness is great, the light is greater. So do not be overcome by darkness, but walk and live according to the love and light of Christ. Let's take to heart our Lord fully. Let's walk in his light and love fiercely, even persistently, all for his name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we thank you. We're just humbled by the love of Christ. I just look at my own life and my own heart and I just pray for myself. I pray for all of us here. Lord, help us to love like that. 
we are to love like that. And so help us, Lord. How hard it is for us as Americans, especially as we are so centered and center ourselves upon our own rights and demands and ways. But may we deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow Christ. But we have the mind of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May you work and lead us in that mind together as your children, Lord. I know it's hard. I've felt the hardness of it. As many here have also, we pray that even so, may we fight the good fight of the faith and love the good love that we're called to love. And so help us, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone here or online who doesn't know you, may you even now help them to hear the cry of Christ this morning, the extension of his mercy and love to them wherever they are, whatever they're doing, whatever they've gone through, whatever they've done, they see that Christ came and he died for them. He was buried and he rose again, victorious, that they may have life and light forever. So we pray for your hand on them and in us. And so we look to you and pray as we sing that we glory in Christ and the cross what he has done for us, how fiercely he has loved us, even to this very moment and even beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.